0: Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny.
1: And I'm Dimitri. In this episode of the Consumer Rundown
0: Podcast, we talk to Christina Dordrake about her grandmother and how she inspired her to create Willis Oat Milk. We discuss her own journey as a plant-based milk drinker and the key insight that led her to launch Willis.
1: Christina, it's great to meet you. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So first question is, who's Willa?
0: Willa was my grandmother. She was a real force and someone who was ahead of her time in many, many ways, including the fact that she was making oat milk way, way before it was cool.
1: Tell me more about that. Do you recall having her oat milk when you were younger? And when you think about that experience, what memories do you think back to?
0: My grandmother played a huge role in my life. And she was just someone who was incredibly empowering. When she was younger, she was really interested in food. She often said that if she had a career, she would have become a chef. And she also had a lot of wisdom that I think prior generations had about food and nutrition. She didn't know that oats had prebiotic fiber, but she knew that they were really good for digestion. And so when her kids and grandkids had an upset stomach or couldn't digest milk, she instinctively knew that oats would work, and so she started creating oat milk and wanted to create something that was going to be delicious. So she added some a little bit of salt, a little bit of vanilla extract, and our recipes are all based off of her original recipe.
1: It's really awesome. At what point did you decide to start uh, Willow's oat milk?
0: We had the idea in 2017, and we got started at the end of 2018. There were a bunch of different things that were catalysts for starting it. For one, I'd been a plant-based milk drinker for a really long time, and I was working in advertising, working on Panera, when Panera was taking out hundreds of ingredients out of their menu, all of these artificials and preservatives, and they were cleaning it all up. And so I got this amazing education on all of the weird stuff that goes into our food. And I couldn't believe that these so-called healthy plant-based milks in my fridge had ingredients that fast food restaurants were voluntarily taking out of their menu items. And I started by just wanting to create an oat milk that was like the one that my grandmother had made, like something that I would want to drink using ingredients that I could recognize being organic because oats are one of the most heavily sprayed crops with pesticides. So I really wanted something that, that didn't have Roundup and everything else in it, and then was super delicious, not watery, not chalky, but was really good tasting, whether it's in coffee or smoothies or on its own. So that was the beginning. As we got further down this entrepreneurial path, we kept asking questions about the category and the way everyone else in the category was doing it. And we were really surprised to find that So many of these plant-based milks didn't have the benefits of the things that they were named after. So many of the nut milks didn't really have the healthy elements that come from the nuts because they, they didn't have that many nuts in them. And then in the case of oat milk, we kept seeing all of these labels that had so much sugar and hardly any protein or fiber, which was really confusing. When you think about oats, the things that are good for you about them are the fiber content and the protein. What we discovered is usually oat milk is made with the sugar and 20 to 30% of the oat, the healthy parts are discarded and often into a landfill. And so my sister's background is in manufacturing and engineering, and she's been trying to change the food system from the inside out. And so she figured out how to mill the whole entire oat so nothing good is wasted. And you get this really rich taste. It's got all the benefits, all the protein and fiber. And it's zero food waste and a better choice for the planet. Willa's unsweetened original is the closest to my grandmother's recipe. It uses water, organic oats, vanilla extract, and sea salt. Our chocolate oat milk, which is kind of a dark chocolate, uses Raca single origin Peruvian cacao and a little bit of maple sugar to balance the cacao. It's got that to balance the bitterness, but it doesn't give you that sugar spike and crash that you get with these crazy sugary uh, plant-based milks and dairy milks it's like a brownie in a glass. It's so good. And then our barista product works great for home frothers as well as coffee shops and also uses, like all of our products, the whole entire oat and organic ingredients. You can get it on Amazon. You can get them on williskitchen.com. And of course, at retail in LA, we're in Arawan and Bristol Farms, Jimbo's in San Diego, Central Market in Texas, Foxtrot in Chicago, lots of co-ops throughout the Midwest and the Twin Cities, and then here in New York, or my garage, Union Market.
1: When you were in advertising, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
0: I think my whole life, there has been a part of me that wanted to be an entrepreneur. When I was in middle school, I started a very organized babysitting club with my friends and we were like planning events, on the weekends that parents could like pay to have their kids come to. I always had this creative entrepreneurial bug and that's probably part of the reason I worked in strategy on the agency side. It's a super entrepreneurial role. You're looking at the intersection between the target, where culture is headed and the business opportunity. And you're working in a really creative space, but you're also very embedded into the business and the leadership team. And so I always had that interest in me but it wasn't until Willa's that it felt like the idea that was really worth giving it a shot. I think I can speak for my co-founders, my sister and my husband. My husband's been an entrepreneur his whole life and a freelancer, but all three of us had all been interested in something like this and talking about it, but it wasn't until this idea came to light that we really felt like it was time to to take the leap.
1: So taking back to 2018, Why did you think this was the right time to launch? What market needs did you see?
0: These plant-based milks are used in so many use cases. Also in different environments, not just retail, but coffee shops and hotels and office spaces, co-working spaces. And then on top of that, kids drink them. So I could see that this wasn't something that people were going to drink every once in a while, but it was the way they start their day and something they drink throughout the day. In lots of different ways and it seemed to me that for a long time there weren't very many options you were lucky if you had one option at a coffee shop and it was probably soy milk and it seemed like such a missed opportunity and then as i started digging in and discovering that 70 percent of the world is lactose intolerant to me it just seemed like there had to be more people like me that were looking for something that was clean used really good quality ingredients Had actual health benefits, was actually having a net positive impact on the planet, and tasted good. Unfortunately, I don't think that many brands have hit all of those marks. Many brands haven't hit any of those marks. In some ways, I think there's been a real lack of creativity in this category and a lot of sameness. I think it's incredible that our little team, Elena and Laura on our team, have, along with the rest of us, developed products that are completely unique in the category, despite not having maybe as many resources as, as a lot of the bigger brands that we're competing against.
1: Take me back to 2018. You have the idea, you're thinking about, we want to launch this. What does the process look like for you and for your team?
0: My whole career, the way that I've learned how to do things has really been asking people who know more than me. And so the first thing I did was I asked everyone I knew who was an entrepreneur or knew an entrepreneur, I was just trying to connect with as many founders as I could, even if they weren't in the food and beverage industry. Because what I knew for sure was that I could be spending 12, 15 hours a day on any number of things. When you're starting a business from the ground up, do you spend your time on positioning? Do you spend it on design? Do you spend it on customer research? Do you spend it on just like getting your LLC? There's so many different things that you could be diving into that you need to do to set the foundation. And so I started by just asking everyone. Where should I start? What are the pitfalls to avoid? Which I believe is actually one of the most important questions you can ask in CPG because so much about starting a food or beverage or any consumer packaged good company is about the things you say no to and the timing of things. I think in the media, founders are often portrayed as being very territorial and competitive. What I've found is founders are the people with the least amount of time who are the most generous with their time and advice. Everyone I've spoken with has always been just super open to spending a little bit of time, whether it's over email or phone, to answer a question or connect me with someone. I just love this community. And I really don't think that we could have gotten as far as we did as quickly as we did without the help and insight of other entrepreneurs.
1: I think that's very true, especially for CPG. I think founders within CPG always support one another. And Want to see everyone's product grow and to be successful.
0: The innovation in the category is happening with the small brands. And there's so much positive opportunity. 30 to 40% of man-made greenhouse gas emissions come from the food industry. You could see that as something that's just really disheartening. And, and I think some people most get paralyzed when they hear these numbers. But on the flip side of that, that is a tremendous opportunity. You know, when you think about how everybody needs to buy food and beverages, everybody needs to eat and drink. And there's things we can all be doing to support the brands that are having a really net positive impact on the planet. I think it's something that should actually be talked about more, just the incredible impact that the small brands in the CPG industry are having to lead an entirely new path for the rest of the categories that they're in.
1: Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you got a lot of advice on how to avoid landmines. Can you talk more about the landmines that you wanted to avoid when you were first starting out?
0: I knew what we were up against having come from the agency side. I knew we were up against brands that were spending hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising that we wouldn't have to begin with. So you have to, as a founder of a brand in a category where you're going up against behemoths, you have to think differently than they do. You have to leverage the nimbleness. You have to get really close to your target consumer and really understand their needs and, and what where the demand is heading. So I think that just really thinking about what are the things that we can do to leverage the strengths of being a small. And then on the flip side of that, I think there are, are a lot of brands that have grown really, really quickly in retail. You know, You're seeing a little bit less of this now, but there was a time when brands would go, into all Whole Food stores overnight, or they would launch in Target even in the early days. There are also tremendous landmines in that. If you have a truck that is delayed getting to a major retailer because of a storm, you know that's completely out of your control, but you will still get charged for it. So I think really understanding your unit economics, the actual margin that you're making when you're going into a retailer, Knowing that that margin might not be the same at every retailer, and you really need to think through all of those costs. And those big opportunities are sometimes ones that you might not be ready for. We have had some big sales opportunities come our way that on paper look absolutely transformative for the business. But if you are hemorrhaging cash to make that happen and you're not quite ready from a unit economic standpoint, or an infrastructure standpoint, or you haven't worked out the kinks in smaller retailers, that could be catastrophic.
1: Do you think being in advertising gave you an advantage over other founders coming into consumer?
0: I think we all come with strengths. My sister's background gives us a huge advantage. She's got a co-manufacturing background. She knows how to optimize those facilities. My husband's background is, is super entrepreneurial he's somebody that has amazing ability to kind of get in the weeds and then take a step back and think really strategically about the big picture. My background in advertising was helpful in a number of ways. For one, my whole career has been spent being really close to customers and and doing all kinds of customer research, whether it's quantitative or qualitative or ethnographic or just desk research, you know, looking at mental reports. And I think that is critical when you're starting a consumer packaged goods company. You have to be willing to say, the things that I think are important might not be the things that our customer thinks are important. I need to understand what those things are. We do a ton of marketing research. Whenever we launch a new product, we do loads and loads of consumer testing, rounds and rounds of versions of the recipe to make sure that you know we're not just creating the healthiest and most sustainable oat milk, but the tastiest one. And... So, I think it gave me the advantage of really understanding how important it is to get close to the customer. I think it also, I was working in extremely fast paced collaborative environments, and every single day we were putting out fires. So, I guess that's excellent training for entrepreneurial life. I think if you're somebody who works on the agency side in advertising, There is going to be so much that um, you've done that gives you a leg up. On the flip side, you're going to have to be ready to learn a lot of new things and be ready to not have the resources that you had before.
1: Is there anything that surprised you about what customers would say about the category?
0: I guess I should say how much plant-based milk drinkers have changed since we first had this idea. When we first were in the early days of Willa's, I can't tell you how many conversations I had where people said to me, oh, well, plant-based milk is healthy. They're all healthy, right? They're all good for you. You know, I'd be talking to a friend who is vegan and they'd say, oh, well, I don't really care what the ingredients are as long as it's not animal products. That would definitely raise my anxiety. What we were doing was really focused on clean label, organic. And if those weren't things people cared about, then we were going to have to really educate people or kind of rethink if the demand was there for a product like Willa's. What we've seen in the past year and a half is people are taking a much closer look at the labels, much closer look at the ingredients, the sugar content, all of that. And that has really fueled our growth, especially in the last year and a half.
1: What do you think was the tipping point?
0: I think we're entering a new phase of the plant-based category. I think there was a time when there were hardly any options. And if there was an option, you were just kind of lucky to have that option. Then all of a sudden, there were more options. And people started buying them all and then started seeing that they weren't all the same. And they had different taste profiles, they had different nutritional profiles, they had different ingredients, talk, and all of these different kind of health focused influencers and writers started raising questions and issues. And Human behavior can change so quickly with something catching on on social media or being talked about with the right circle of influencers. I think we've seen this in other categories where there was a time when everybody was kind of like, oh, cereal, it's all healthy, right? You know, even the, the stuff that looks like a cookie, it's fine. And then, you know, people started looking at that more closely and we saw healthier cereals. I don't think I don't think this new phase of plant-based that's you know more focused on actually having plants and actually having real ingredients is, is super surprising. Maybe it's surprising because there, there were so many brands that just weren't focused on that at all. They were just trying to create a replacement for meat or dairy.
1: Let's go back to when you first started. What was your goal?
0: Our vision for the company has always been to help change the food system for the better and create plant-based products that use whole plant-based ingredients that taste as good as they are for people in the planet. And we are very clear on our values and all of us founders and our our whole team really share values around what's important to us. Our competitors would probably laugh if they saw what we spend on vanilla extract and cacao powder and cold-pressed oil in our barista product, which was the only product we use oil, but it's a healthier oil that's anti-inflammatory and has good omega-3s. Our competitors would probably laugh if they saw what we spend on those things, but it's really clear to us that we should only make products that align with our values. And that's just, that's who we are. And everything we do has to live up to my grandmother Willow's name.
1: That's a great sentiment. <laughs> How are you measuring your success in accomplishing that vision?
0: We have goals around everything. So there are, of course, the business goals, right? We want to make sure that we're growing, we're growing sustainably, we have healthy unit economics, and we're creating a really strong foundation for the business from an operations standpoint. And then we are on a mission to create plant-based milk that tastes as good as it is for people in the planet. And we're always looking for ways that we can improve on the things we're already doing, you know, whether that is sourcing as locally as possible or using less energy or exploring different ways to approach packaging working with sustainably minded partners encouraging more farmers to grow organic oats that aren't using you know roundup and glyphosate so i would say we're always looking to improve and i guess that's just the culture of our team is one of continuous improvement and setting different goals whether it's on the business side or more on the health and sustainability side. But those two things, in my mind, really go hand in hand. Going back to responding to what people are looking for, people are looking for brands that live up to their values and who they can trust and who are open to learning and growing, whether it be from insight that they're getting from their customers or just from things that they're discovering that they can do to have a net positive impact on people's health and the health of the planet.
1: I want to dig deeper a little bit on that topic. Organic oats. What's the difference between organic and inorganic oats? You mentioned, I think, two ingredients that I haven't heard about, but want yeah. to hear more about.
0: Those two ingredients are the same ingredient. One is sort of a brand name and one is the the ingredient name. Oats are one of the most heavily sprayed crops with pesticides. So if you buy conventional oats, those are often heavily sprayed. And one of the Major pesticides, unfortunately, that is still being used is glyphosate, also known as Roundup. We have all kinds of data on Roundup. We know it's really bad for our soil health. We also know it's not good for human health. There are all kinds of lawsuits around um, people who work in agriculture who have been exposed to it, increased cancer risk. There have been brands that have gotten into trouble with the Environmental Working Group because they have been found to have levels of glyphosate that are unsafe for children. And this is just not something we want in our oat milk. (laughs) Absolutely not. So it was really important to us that we use organic oats, not sprayed with these pesticides.
1: Do consumers recognize the difference? And are you able to charge a higher price because of that?
0: People are increasingly asking us about it. In fact, we get a lot of emails about, hey, so your oats are organic. Do they have glyphosate? which I love seeing because it means that there's just more awareness around this issue. I believe that's going to continue. We're seeing the organic category just continues to grow and grow and grow. And my hope is that more and more farmers switch to organic farming because it's better for soil health and better for carbon sequestration. Organic oats are amazing because they pull carbon out of the atmosphere and feed it back into the soil where it belongs. A lot of these organic Farmers are actively helping to fight climate change. So I hope that by using them and and by getting the word out about them, we're helping to create more demand. We try to offer the most accessible price points we can, but we do use the highest quality organic ingredients. Willis can't be the least expensive product at the shelf, but we're always looking for ways to offer the best value possible to our customers.
1: At what point did you know you had something special, something that you can continue growing
0: I would actually say in the first three months that we started noodling on this idea, I knew we had something special. I left the agency world. I was doing some freelancing at the agency I had been working at, and I gave myself three months to see how far we could get and if we had some signals that we were on to something. And we just kept getting introduced to folks and meeting people who were really excited about what we were doing meeting people who were in the investor community or in the food and beverage community or in the coffee community. In 2019, we spent a year building relationships with co-working spaces and tech offices and coffee shops, getting ready for what we thought was going to be a launch in food service in March of 2020. What we did to build those relationships was really just reaching out to everyone we knew. A friend of ours worked at WeWork and said, hey, you need to meet this guy who's running the coffee program there. He really introduced us to a lot of people in the coffee community. My husband had been doing training for Indeed.com, so he knew folks at their offices. We leveraged our network, and equally, we invited all of our partners in on the R&D process with us. Anybody who would talk to us who was an expert in coffee, we would give them samples and ask them for feedback. Same thing with our earliest customers, all of our family and friends, we would invite them over to do these blind taste tests of all different versions of Willa's and we'd have them all fill out surveys. Our earliest customers were people who were really invested in what we were doing because they were on this journey with us and they were part of the creation of it all, which was just amazing. And I think a lot of our fans get really excited when we post business updates and things like that on social media, because they just feel like they've been on this journey with us since the the early days. And then we started having other signals, you know, along the way, like Erewhon reached out to us and Foxtrot to put us on the shelf. Those were two of our first retailers. We didn't have a huge marketing budget. We couldn't do sampling because it was the pandemic but we could see the frequency and the turns ticking up each week. As an entrepreneur, sometimes it can be there can be so many fires that you're putting out, so many challenges every day you're solving something, but I think it is really important to take a step back even when it's a small win and to say, "Okay, what can I learn from that? Does that is that a signal that there's more to be gained here? Something I can be doubling down on?" I wish I could say we had one big moment that we knew But it wasn't like that. It was lots of little signals all along the way. I think as a founder, sometimes you can be searching for that, like one big thing that's going to unlock, like in a movie or something. I don't think that's usually how it goes. The brands that have been around for a long time maybe doubled each year, but it wasn't like there was this one moment where they went from 1 million to 100 million. That's not usually how it goes. And so often when you hear about a brand that's an overnight success, you dig in a little further and they were at it for 10 years before that.
1: Looking ahead. Three, five years from now, what do you think this category looks like?
0: I believe that we are going to continue to see people looking for options that hit all of the marks. They have to taste really good in the ways that they want to taste them, whether it's coffee or tea or smoothies or giving it to their kids who are picky eaters. And they also have to have the benefits of the things that they are after. I think there is going to continue to be a movement toward whole plant based foods. So not an isolate necessarily or a piece of something, but I think there's going to continue to be a movement towards whole plant-based foods as they come from nature. We're seeing right now, the number one show on Netflix is Dan Buettner's Blue Zones. And he studied the people in the world who live to a hundred. And those folks are not, eating and drinking things that have a hundred ingredients in them. They're gardening and making delicious recipes with foods from their garden. They're eating beans, not parts of a bean, the bean itself. They understand how different spices can act together. Turmeric on its own is great, but turmeric with black pepper is like a thousand times um, more anti-inflammatory.
1: Yeah, I love that show. We watched it as well, and that was very enjoyable.
0: His books and his cookbooks are phenomenal as well. What's your plans for the future of the brand? We want to keep expanding so that we can have an even bigger impact on our mission of improving the health of people and the planet. We do have some product innovations happening. Our team comes up with so many delicious recipes. It's almost hard to choose which ones to launch when, but stay tuned. We also do a lot of consumer testing. So If you sign up for our email list, you'll probably get invited to participate in surveys and maybe even some taste tests. And then we're continuing to launch in new retail stores. We'll be launching in Lunds Byerly's in the Twin Cities and Nugget Market in San Francisco. And if there's a retailer that you think we should be in, please feel free to let them know we exist because that actually goes a long way. People have no idea how much influence they can have over their own favorite grocery stores. But equally, if you want to DM us or comment on our Instagram, if there's a store we should be trying to get into, we love that.
1: There have been a few brands the last few years that have really exploded. It seems like overnight, Liquid Death is one of them. Mm-hmm. Given that brands can explode overnight, leveraging TikTok, how do you stay relevant in this market where consumer behavior and preferences change quickly?
0: You have this balance between the people who are the loudest or the people who are the registered dietitians that are on like the bleeding edge of nutrition and health and all of that. You have to keep your finger on the pulse of what they're talking about and also take it with a grain of salt in some ways because they aren't necessarily indicative of what everybody is going to be heading towards. At the same time, your biggest advantage is that you are nimble. You don't have this huge bureaucratic corporate structure that might be a big global company that has like all these levels of bureaucracy and testing and, you know, it takes, you know, maybe a year for them to launch a brand. If you start hearing from your customers that they want something or they want one of your ingredients to be different or they're looking for something for their kids those are your opportunities to be really nimble and respond and equally we have a lot of interns on our team we've always been excited about having college students come on board i love having people on the team who have their finger on the pulse of what is being talked about what's being said on social media what's going on in the world of sustainability because i just think that's our biggest advantage is we can move quickly
1: it's awesome last question are there any philosophical or business principles that drive you day-to-day and how you approach building Willas?
0: I want to have a positive impact on people's health and the planet's health. I'm a cancer survivor. That was part of our journey. I was diagnosed with breast cancer while we were getting ready to launch Willas, and I was totally blindsided. I was a health nut. But thankfully, I'm cancer-free now. I felt good enough throughout treatment to be able to work full-time on Willas. Having a, an experience like that really changes the way you think about things there's no dress rehearsals in life this is it and this is my chance to have a really positive impact and i see willa's as a tremendous opportunity to do that
1: christina thank you for joining us really enjoyed the conversation sharing your story sharing willa's story
0: thank you so much for having me this concludes our interview with christina Dorndrake, drake the co-founder of willa's oat milk thank you for joining us Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.